This is the Sports Report with AJ Harrison, episode 4 for Tuesday, October 19th, 2010. The Sports Report is brought to you by The Times Delphic. Follow Drake Athletics, published every Monday and Thursday, and online at timesdelphic.com. And by 94 and the Dog, broadcasting football, volleyball, and basketball games live to the campus community. Welcome back to the Sports Report here on 94.1 The Dog. I'm A.J. Harrison in studio with me tonight, Ryan Niedert and Michael Porterfield, as now we will discuss the new NFL hit policy. seemed like this weekend was just a violent football weekend overall. Um, there was a player in the Rutgers game on Saturday that I read that is paralyzed after a horrifying hit. I believe the same thing happened in the Luther College game here in Iowa. And then on Sunday, just a lot of brutal hits. I believe the NFL fined a combined $175,000 today due to some of the hits of this weekend. They said that they are going to start looking at suspending players if um, the hits are too violent. Um, ask, what are your guys' thoughts on the new NFL hit policy or, I guess, stricter hit policy? Uh, I just wanted to note that the Yankees are up 1-0 on the I forget, the Rangers right now. Got our, our baseball update. Back to the hit policy. I mean, when you play football, you have to understand that, yeah, it's a dangerous game. Hits are going to happen. And then most of the hits, I believe, to helmet to helmet are on accident. I don't think that no one is out there going viciously for another helmet trying to get that big hit. I mean, the early idea is that if you put your helmet on the football when you make a tackle, the football is more likely to come out. Um, from the, the day one of football, you know, that's the first thing we had taught was taught tackling. It explained was what spearing was. Uh, uh, spearing was with your helmet and hitting with the top of your head. You want to hit with your head up and face mask and do those things. Um, but when it comes to a wide receiver coming across the middle and just getting uh, popped, like I think it was Deshaun Jackson did that. He had one of the ugly ones. I can't remember the ugliest one I saw this week. It, it was pretty bad. I think someone caught in the air was coming down, and the safety came from behind and just came up and accelerated through, and you could just see the whiplash come back from that. And then with the – I mean, concussions are, are, are a serious deal in the NFL – you know, not like it used to, where they just didn't know and didn't understand the possible consequences of them, and then, I mean, they they continue to try to to uh, get the new helmet designs. But you know, the better the helmet, also it, it seems to be used as a weapon. Uh, we saw Rodney Harrison say, you know, I he set aside fifty thousand dollars for fines because he knew it was going to happen for big hits. But when he got suspended, it kind of got his attention. So I don't. Suspending players for big hits can be can be uh, can be hurtful and harmful for a team, especially if that hit comes on accident. And I was listening to the Bears game on the radio this week, you know, getting a different perspective. And you know, the the Bears color guy was complaining about how much the quarterbacks are being protected in this league because it, it's. You know, you have to be so careful on what you can do and how you bring the quarterback to the ground and where you can touch him and all those different things. And he, the quarterbacks and, wider, and other players, they are kind of put in a vulnerable position. But, it, again, it is football. I don't think 
these hits are coming on accident. But it, it's hard. It's hard to decide because what we saw, you know, this weekend in college and NFL was was not good for the sport. It was kind of an ugly thing, you know. And it really stopped the game. You know, really took the tempo out of the game. The fans, you know, got quiet. Something that it, no one wants to see, especially if you're a close friend, teammate of that person, family, especially going to the Rutgers player whose life is considerably changed for what happened on the football field this weekend. I don't know what you can do. If you suspend players, I don't think it's going to stop. I think the players are still going to look to keep, you know, giving the big hits. Football is a violent sport. I don't think they're doing it on purpose. The only thing to do is you can just teach technique in different ways to younger kids. Because I think if you try to teach the NFL players a new way to tackle, it's not going to happen. It's already ingrained in their system. I mean, if you teach telling how you go low, then you're going to complain about knee and ankle injuries. And there's just different ways to tackle. I think that when the bottom line comes to it, football is a violent sport. I believe Chris Carter said something today about how he'd rather almost get hit high, you know, head, chest area, than get ho- get hit low, just as you kind of said. I mean, I feel like you know, if, you know, if you ban the hits, you know, to head hits, you know, upper body hits, and people start going for the legs, then I feel like we'll see a lot more, like, career-ending injuries or season-ending injuries, and I just feel like you can't really solve the problem by banning those hits. Yeah, there's a, definitely a lot of vulnerable um, things to a football player if you take out their legs. Um, I listened to Teddy Bruschi talk about it this morning, and he was saying, um, I don't know, these devastating hits, they come in a lot of like, kind of like an open field tackle where a safety or a cornerback, they really just lay out a wide receiver. And he was saying these guys... They, they do know a different way to tackle. They, you know, they just have to, instead of trying to, they're just going to have to make a small adjustment. Instead of trying to make that statement and lay a guy out, they need to, you know, change their technique a little bit and just bring him to the ground, you know, take him down instead of, you know, trying to flatten him. One of the things that, you know, it's hard because when you're in practice and coaching staff and the coaches say, especially with kind of the defenses that are like bend but don't break, if you're going to allow that pass to be caught in front of you, you need to make sure you make that tackle and, you know, if all possible, get him to cough up that football and, and not make that catch. But, I mean, if you want to go, you know, chest to chest on a tackle and go, you know, get someone right there in the shoulder, it's going to naturally happen that your heads are going to meet. I don't, it's, it's very difficult to do that in such a fast-paced game also. If no, football's a really violent sport. I don't I don't think we I really don't think we're going to see any changes. I don't think there's going to be you know, like a different way to to tackle. It's just now it's just kind of kind of be in their minds and you know, instead of you know maybe falling a guy out to take him down a little easier, but yeah, they do have to you know make sure they get that player to the ground and you know coughing and having him cough up the ball would be very beneficial, but I don't know. It's just they're just concerned, you know, with player safety and whatnot. Now, I mean, we know a lot more than we did back in the day. But football is—it's just, you know, it shows our inner violence and our—it's just a violent sport, and there's there's not much you can do about it. I guess moving from such a serious topic to a more lighter topic, moving on now to fantasy football. Um, Porterfield and I had a pretty good battle this week, and. Um, 
Michael came out on top. I would like to say that, again, I had a pretty good scoring output thanks to, I'll, I'll thank my whole team, but I feel like Javid Best and LaShawn McCoy could have done better, but LT kind of killed me in the end, I believe, on your end. And the biggest news of the weekend, Ryan Niedert got his first win, so congrats to Niedert getting his first win of the year. I am on the board, won by six points this week, kind of. You know, eke that one out at the end, thanks to Greg Jennings, my leading scorer, with 25 points this weekend. The Steelers' defense were off, was off their bye, giving me 16. But I scored only 124 points, so my opponent scored 118. So if I would have played either Michael or AJ, I would have gotten smoked. But I, have, I know I have some promise going into the week. No one gave me zero. So only Nate Kading and, and gave me five, and Michael Turner gave me eight. Otherwise, everyone was in double digits. You know, just a good, well-rounded victory for my f- football team. And as you said, if you would have played Porterfield or myself, you would have gotten smoked. As Porterfield had 176 points, I had 155. I, I had three single-digit scores. How did you? But you, you had, Jer- I had Jeremy Macklin, who yeah. just had a great day after Deshaun or Deshaun Jackson got knocked out. And, and then Tony then, Gonzalez had 19 yards receiving but two touchdowns. Um, so he's but, there for. Yeah. And looking at my t- team, um, let's see. Calvin Johnson had a big day for me thanks to that long touchdown pass he had. I That's think it was true. like 87 yards. Terrain was a good pickup on your part. I kind of wanted him. I should have I picked him up. kind of needed him after Clinton Portis went down. You don't need another running back, Michael. You have five perfectly good ones, all five better than my three. Yeah, I kind of feel... You might need to trade make a trade later. I feel kind of bad as looking at Porterfield's <laughs> yeah, bench. Ronnie Brown yeah, I sat on the Ronnie, bench. I've been sitting Ronnie Brown... Felix Jones on the bench. I'm pretty sure if you looked at their stats, most leagues they would be starting, I'd think. Actually, Felix Jones has been really bad, except for the last two weeks. Um, Washington, Chicago, and Houston held him to single digits. Um, A lot of... Huh? That's a good run. They are good run defensive, and they play Tennessee and Minnesota, and, you know, got got 18 and 21 points, and, yeah, he had good weeks, and Ryan always Ryan always plays the matchups. It seems like, and I don't. Know, I always just kind of play who who's been hot and who's not. It seems to be working out so far. Miles Austin just didn't have a great day. I'm a little disappointed in him. Hey, I remember last year Miles Austin did wonders for me. This year, it seems like he hasn't really been doing a whole lot for your team. Well, if the Cowboys are a good football team, Miles Austin will have a couple of touchdowns. But, you know, flags came out of the, un- the officials' pockets and touchdowns of his were called back, so. Yeah, I, yeah. I was kind of sad for Mr. Miles Austin. That's unfortunate. But Des Bryant got his first NFL touchdown along with Tim Tebow. Um, actually, actually, Des Bryant got his first receiving touchdown. Oh, okay. He did return a punt for a touchdown earlier this season. You're right. But you get an A for effort. And, but I tried. Tebow's touchdown, I guess. We all remember last year that there was one Tebow lover in this room, not me. Was it you, Mike? Nope. 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 I'm just going to pass over the mic. <laughs> I like Tim Tebow. I'm not afraid to admit it. I think he's a good athlete. I think he'll find a place in the NFL right now, but not. A, I don't think it's the Broncos quarterback because Kyle Orton's having a year. Sorry, they predicted him to throw for me 5,000 yards this year in that offense. I mean, too bad it's not resulting in wins. But, you know, Tim Tebow coming in at the goal line package, he can you know, 
jump pass, you know, run in between the tackles, run to the pylon like he did to score his touchdown. Lots of different options to work with for that uh, Broncos offense in the goal line set. I never, I never said Tebow wasn't a good athlete. I just, I thought he was a little overrated down at Florida. I mean, but apparently, maybe he wasn't. Or seeing the Florida Gators just do awful this year, and you know, maybe he was a spark on that team. I just, I don't know if he's gonna. Be, I don't know if he's an NFL caliber quarterback. I mean, yeah, Josh McDaniels drafted him in the first round, but you know, he, yeah, he's not gonna start this year with Kyle Orton the way he's playing. I mean, he, I don't know. I just don't think he he has the arm and whatnot for a. Uh, for an NFL quarterback. And with that, ending on wonderful praise for Tim Tebow. He has a great arm. I don't understand. Okay, fine. Tebow, let's just say Tebow has an all right arm, but I don't think we'll see him starting this year. No, I think not that's, this year. I think it's that's no Rex Gross from Canaan. But we're going to take a quick break yeah, for our legal for ID. Uh, up next, we'll be discussing some stories around Major League Baseball. Talk about another Ryan getting a, kind of stiff this today. But you guys will have to stay tuned to that. You've been listening to the Sports Report here on 941 The Dog. Sports Report here on 941 The Dog, and I believe we, I'm AJ Harrison in studio with me tonight, Michael Porterfield, Brian Niedert, and we have a score update from the MLB playoffs, the Texas Rangers, Michael Porterfield's new favorite team of the hey, hour, hey, 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 hey. is now up 2-1 to one over his old favorite team, the New York Yankees. Wait, wait, when we started that score, Michael was mad, wasn't he? Wait, he wait, was. what's... So, I'm still on the Who's Yankees. his team? I'm still on the Yankees. You still on the Yankees? Yankees, your team? The Royals, your team? <laughs> Sadly enough, the Royals are my team. I do like the Yankees. I would like to see the Texas Rangers succeed in the postseason. I was kind of torn who to root for. When it, you know, I'm not a huge Yankees fan. I just only when they're playing Minnesota. Yeah, and I wanted the Reds to win too. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> I, I do like the Rangers though in this series. I mean, I, I mean, they're pit Cliff Lee. Everyone knows he's good. The Rangers' offense, though, that's what's been impressive to me. It's coming up with six runs in the top of the ninth there, you know, getting Josh Hamilton's two and homer off Andy Pettit, who pitched really well for the Yankees, but just not quite good enough against Lee. Rangers looking like a very good baseball team. I want to go back to a point. You talked about Cliff Lee last night, I believe. He pitched. Fantastic game, but kind of interesting decision. Joe Girardi. Starting AJ Burnett or Burnett, and even though him and I share the same name, he has not been doing that well as of late. I believe he's has had one win in the past two months. I don't remember the last time that he beat a team with a winning record. He just has not been good. I believe he lost 15 games this year. He hasn't pitched in a while. I almost, I mean, do you guys like his decision or Girardi's decision to have Pettit versus Lee? Like, do you think you should have maybe put Burnett in there? I mean, just I don't want to say you'd give up on, you know, that game three, but we all know Cliff Lee's had the Yankees' number as of late. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I like I like the decision to the pitch Pettit. Pettit's been great in the postseason. He's 
I think he's got the best, most wins all time. Um, we see, we know that CC's good. He's he's got like a a, a one point oh six ERA off when pitching in a three man rotation. But Phil Hughes and Phil Hughes has never done it. And Pettit's he's getting a little old and he's coming off that groin injury. He hasn't pitched much as of late. And you don't want to strain either one of those guys out if you go three man. Uh, you know, where does that put you at the se- if if they somehow win and make it to the series? I, I think Joe Girardi makes the right decision here by pitching Burnett. He, last year, it was a good it was a it was a good commitment to the three man rotation. You know, they had a they gave Burnett and CC all that money in the off season, and and they were good for him. But Burnett's just not been what he was the last couple years, and that's kind of starting to show. He's, he's aging. Um, his curveball is just not what it used to be. He can't throw it the way he, the way he used to. Um, but I think I think you have to start him here, or or you're in trouble later on. Yeah, I think Girardi did it the right way because I mean, who's your best shot to beat Cliff Lee? And I think that's Andy Pettit. You got you got to take that opportunity because I think other there's one bad pitch. It really wasn't even that bad of a pitch because Hamilton. If you talk to him, he said, "Oh, I didn't get all of that." The short porch in right field probably helped me out with that home run. Andy Pennant looked spectacular. The bullpen kind of fell through in the Rangers and the Rangers there in the ninth. You know, not a lot in the comeback. Also, I mean, if worse comes to worse and you go down 3-1, who do you want in that, I think, that game five? Game five? And that's, if Burnett loses tonight and they're down 3-1, then you have CeCe. Then you'll have, you know, Hughes and then you have Pettit to try and bring you back. Which, you know, I wouldn't create a panic. I mean, the Yankees have been down 2-1 before, and right now they're only down... Right now they are tied 2-2 in the game as I look at my computer. So, definitely capable of winning this start for Burnett. I mean, the guy across the room from the Rangers, Lewis, is that correct? Or did he pitch last night? Um, it's Tommy Hunter right now. Hunter. Hunter for Hunter tonight for the Rangers. 13-4 uh, regular season record but that was only a half of a season. You know, he kind of hurt for the first half. So, I mean, pretty impressive, but, you know, not a name that we've heard too much. Nothing nothing firepower like, you know, CeCe's a bad fit at Cliff Lee. So, so this, this whole series is completely up for grabs, but I give the edge to the Rangers because the ability that they've shown to score on offense. And heading into tonight's match, I believe the Rangers had the lead in 25 out of 27 innings of the series up until tonight. I'm guessing it's probably more like, I want to say maybe 28 out of 30 or something like that, or maybe 27 out of 30. But I feel like the Rangers have had the upper hand in this series. But, I mean, I guess I don't really want to count the Yanks out because we just, I mean, look at their lineup. I mean, it's stacked, and you never really know when, you know, Cheater can, you know, get a good hit. I mean, you have A-Rod still in there. I think they are 8-0 and all-time when falling behind 1-2. and two. I mean, they're good. They're stacked. Yeah, they've got a ton of money, whatever. I heard all the complaints. Um, we saw Girardi change up his lineup a little bit tonight. He's pitching, or he's not pitching, but he he's hitting Granderson up in the, the two-hole instead of down at the bottom of that lineup. And then Berkman's getting the getting to play tonight at DH, and uh, Posada's getting the night off. Um, I I really like the play of Brett Gardner 
in the last I mean the last couple of games we saw him make that you know that great dive um, to become safe or get safe uh, in front of not Cliffley uh, C J Wilson and then he tries to do the same thing last night against uh, against Cliff Lee, and Cliff Lee just, just decides, I'm going to cut him off, and I'm going to step on him. So Gardner has to kind of get out of the way, ends up getting called out. But, you know, I think that's a real hustle play, and he's, he's shown a lot of heart out there. I'm still a believer that you're a lot faster if you stay on your feet and just run through the bag. But if he wants to die, I thought, you know, if, if, if he touched the bag, he was safe last night on that dive on Cliff Lee, but I, it, was, it was unclear to me that, that he touched the bag. But I know there's some umpires that out there, you know, if, if you dive and it's close, they're going to they're gonna call you out. It's automatic for them, and it's how the way they do it. Yeah, I, when I was watching the game, I was like, he was clearly safe. I, I thought he, he was in front of Cliff Lee, but it looks like he just missed the bag with his hand a little bit. Didn't want to get I didn't want to get stepped on or something, but, I mean... I still think he's showing great effort and you know getting down there trying to trying to spark that you know Yankees offense that just hasn't been doing anything besides Robinson Cano who's just been terrific. Now switching series to the NL, the Giants were able to get a win today over the Phillies, a three nothing win over Philadelphia Phillies. Matt Cain did a pretty good job pitching. He outdueled Cole Hamels, who I feel like everybody kind of forgets that he's on that Phillies staff. I mean, I think he was the World Series MVP a few years ago when he was with the Phillies. Now he's the number three guy behind uh, Halliday and Oswalt. But again, Cody Ross delivers for the Giants, and they have a 2-1 lead. I guess, are you guys kind of shocked about this result? Or, I mean... I'm not. Like I know a few weeks from the show, I said Giants to the World Series. I also said Rays to the World Series. But I was, and I said that the Rays and the Yankees probably have the best two pitching staffs, but the Texas offense is just proving us wrong right now. Um, the Giants are finding ways to score runs, and the Phillies aren't. That's the bottom line to this right now. Um, the, the pitching by the, the starting pitching by the Giants is just phenomenal. Um, the bullpen's been a little shaky. Ryan Wilson's been a little shaky. I do like his beard. I am disappointed, though, that he probably is just fermenting it, just getting it a lot darker with maybe some grease or something. That's not his natural hair color, but he looks good, stowing hard. You know, I like the Giants in the World Series right now. One interesting note of today's game, I'm reading the article. Um, I believe they honored the 2002 team of the Giants. And Barry Bonds was in attendance at the game. And I guess reading the article, he didn't receive a... He got a pretty good uh, introducing, I think. I mean, reading this article. And I guess that's... I guess when he was playing, San Francisco was the only uh, park that he actually got cheers. So not too big of a shock, but just want to throw that out about Bonds. But, I mean, the series 2-1, looking ahead to starters, I see Blanton is starting for... Um, the Phillies, and you said uh, Bumgarner starting for the Giants? Yep, they went with Bumgarner over Barry Zito, who really wasn't great at the end of the season, so hopefully he can come out of that bullpen and do well. But I think that uh, that Giants rotation is very good, but, I mean, the Phillies, the Phillies are also a very good team. I mean, it's a tough pick. I think the series is still wide open, even though San Francisco leads at 2-1, and they're, I guess they play one more. No, three one. No, they're two one. They are two. They're one, they're one game behind because they didn't play on Friday. All right, my mistake. It's okay. 
Um, but, I, you know, they have Holiday and Oswald, and I, just, I don't know. It's just a good, good and pitching And looking at the Giants' offense, I mean, it's really hard. I mean, looking at some of their players, um, so we talk about Cody Ross has been a huge part, but, I mean, Besides that, I mean, can you guys name a lot of Giants that, you know, are position players? Absolutely. You can. Pablo Sandoval for splitting time with uh, Mike Fontenot. Then you have Uribe and Renneria at short. You know, over at second base. Oh, she can't think of second base. Huff. Fontenot sometime. Um, you got Huff, Huff in the outfield. Or, or Huff at, in the outfield now? Is he, he's, he's at first outfield. Um, you got Posey, the rookie, catching. You, Buster Posey. And then you have, I remember my dad kept telling me that their outfield did not start with the team at the beginning of the season. They all came in. I think no, Rowan started with them. I don't, is Rowan even playing? Yep, he's playing. He, he played today. tonight. That was the first time he's played all series, um, except for the rookie that usually leads off the left-hander. Um, you know, yeah, you got Burl in there. Plenty of Freddie. Freddie Sanchez. He's playing second base. He's batting talent a couple years ago. Yeah, with the Pirates. So you know, some some misfits. You know, kind of pieced together. You know, you rec- you wouldn't recognize this team maybe two or three years ago. I don't think anyone's on that team except for maybe Lincecum and Kane. Kane might be the oldest. I mean, the veteran of that that baseball team right now. That's been a giant the longest. But I mean, you kind of. I mean, I know you're, as I believe the word is, baseball purist. You follow baseball. You love it. I guess, you know, it's just not your typical, I guess, cast. I mean, if you look at the Rangers, you kind of have that, you know, Josh Hamilton, big name. Um, Michael Young. Michael Young. Nelson Cruz. Yeah. Vlad. You know, those guys. And you look big at the, names, big yeah. bats. And you look at the Phillies. I mean, you have Ryan Howard, Utley, Rollins, Worth, Abanez. He. And the Yankees, enough said, but, I mean, with the Giants, you know, I guess looking at their lineup, I mean, remember Pat Burrell from a few years ago? I mean, Huff's been around the league. Uribe's been around. Renteria has been, like, everywhere, it seems like. So, I guess kind of like what Niedert said, it's almost like it's a bunch of misfits coming together. But Yeah, and I think they made a lot of great moves at the, the end of the season, or towards the end of the season uh, at the trade deadlines and then kind of off waivers. To get guys in there, they brought in. Um, Fontenot and a couple other guys that just really helped solidify that lineup and give uh, Bruce Bochy some more options to pinch hit and whatnot. But we're going to take a quick break. Coming up next, we'll discuss the big news out of Major League Baseball today about the wonderful Chicago Cubs. We'll also discuss how Nieder thinks that the strike zone might be shrinking a little during the playoffs. You have been listening to the Sports Report here on 941 The Dog. with me tonight, Ryan Nieder, Michael Porterfield, as big news coming out of the Windy City today. No, 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 Ryan Sandberg was not named the manager of the Cubs, neither was Joe Torre, neither was Joe Girardi, who's kind of busy in a baseball game right now, but Mike Quaddy, not Quad, Quaddy, was named the manager of the Chicago Cubs. He served as the interim skipper after Lou Pinella 
stepped down abruptly in the season after he announced his retirement at the end of the season. But as I know, there's a Chicago Cubs fan in the in the room, and probably a bandwagon Chicago Cubs fan hey, with them. Stop it. So, I guess I'll let you guys talk about Mike Quaddy, and I just want to say this. Really hoping the Brewers can uh, snatch up uh, Rhino from the Iowa Cubs now. I, I'm just going to get my two cents in about Quaddy, and then I'm going to let Ryan take it away because he's, he's a Cubs fan and I am not. But <clears throat> I think I think this is a great move by the Cubs. Um, they went 17-13 and 13 under Quaddy. Um, yeah, he's playing a lot of rookies, and you know, we'll see kind of what he'll be working with next year. Um, but if they go out and they get Torrey or they get Girardi or a, another big name, that guy is expected to come in and deliver. With a, a Rhino or a lineup right now, I don't know why I said Rhino because I'm looking at Rhino. Um, but <clears throat> there's a line with a lineup that's just not doing well. <laughs> this year, and they've got a lot of money committed to go in the wrong places and. I'm just going to let Ryan take it away because apparently I'm just botching this. Uh, Rhino? <laughs> what? Okay, okay, Mike Quaddy over Rhino. And that's what I was reading when I was talking. And then I... Okay, well, um, Mike Quaddy loves the Cubs. Uh, he grew up in Chicago as a Cubs fan. He has t- way, way more coaching experience than Ryan Sandberg has. Not as much playing experience, but has some playing experience, but a lot more coaching experience in the minors and the majors as a bench coach. Went 24-13 and 13 when he took over as the Cubs interim manager. That's without Derek Lee. That's without Ryan Terrio. That's without Mike Fontenot. It's kind of with his new team and just kind of pushes the buttons, doing it however he wants. You know, he's not being paid a lot. I think like $2 million or less. Club option. He only has two years to to do it. A club option in 2013. Cubs are definitely going to be in a rebuilding year, trying to develop a lot of new players. Um, uh, this is a, the fine hire. I mean, it's nothing explosive. No, no, you know, big name. I don't think the Cubs want to be in the spotlight right now. Want to be, you know, that team that says, "Oh, we're going to win the World Series this year because we haven't done so in a hundred some years." So, I mean, it's, you know, it's a team that you just got to take a step back, take a deep breath, refigure things out. I think Quaddy, he's just going to play with it. He's going to have some fun, very energetic guy. You know, he looks like an old guy, but he definitely wants to be on that field just as much as anybody else. I mean, it's going to be fine for the Cubs and what they want to do this year. I think I like the hire. I think he did a good job with that team late in the season when he took over. I believe only the Phillies had a better record in, during that time. And, I mean, you look at who the Phillies had, I mean, you figure starting uh, three pitchers that in any other uh, rotation, maybe besides the Yankees or Rays, that there would be an ace in Hamels, Oswalt, and Halliday. Um, I thought the Cubs under Quaddy did a pretty good job. They seemed to respond to him well. I mean, as a Milwaukee Brewer fan, I don't know if I like, you know, the Cubs being that good towards the late of the, that end part of the season under him, but I mean it'll be nice to see what can happen on the north side, and you know maybe the Cubs can uh, get to the promised land with him, unlike so many other managers have tried to do before him. Yeah, I mean the the big hire has been you know the the choice to go with you know Dexter Baker, Luke Pinellas, bringing the big names. Well, that hasn't worked. Not much has worked, and this movie is surprising. So you know why not completely change it up? 
I do think, though, if this doesn't work out, Jim Hendry is absolutely gone and will never be seen in Chicago again because he's, his, some of the things that he's been doing has been quite questionable. I think I feel like a lot of players have had a lot of influence in this choice. You know, I, I believe Ryan Dempster especially. Um, I know the owner, Tom Ricketts, interviewed with a lot of the other managers. Um, Wedge, Eric Wedge, another candidate, he was hired up by the Mariners, so that kind of made their options you know, a bit fewer. fewer so... I mean, it was either Sandberg or Quaddy, and you know if uh, Sandberg wasn't ready, it's time for my Quaddy. That's how it is. Do you think Sandberg will be back with the Iowa organization? I mean, I've heard reports. I mean, there's some people that I guess in a dream world think that you know Sandberg would be promoted to bench coach with the I, with the you know Chicago Cubs. I don't really see that happening. I feel like that puts too much pressure on Quaddy. Do you think he returns to Des Moines as manager of the I Cubs? Do you think he leaves the organization? Or, I mean, what do you think Rhino will do? Um, I think Rhino is doing an excellent job of developing players, and he's perfect for a minor league system right now, and he's done so well at every level that he's been to. But, you know, I think now that, you know, you go to the major league levels and you deal with veteran players, guys that don't need teaching anymore, it's a whole different ballgame. It's something else to deal with. Quaddy's been there. Quaddy's done that. Um, I think Rhino, Rhino will always have a spot in Des Moines. I think the Cubs want to keep him as long as they can. Uh, he definitely, you know, thinking about himself, you know, it's it's fine if he wants to go somewhere else and take another job. But you know, maybe he maybe he he'll take a time to step back and realize, well, maybe I'm not ready. And I don't know what he wants to do. He wants to manage someday. I don't know if he wants to manage next year. If he wants to manage now or a few years on the road, you know. And if someone wants to take a chance on him, because you know he's not. So he's not quite proven. He's not quite a golden pick for an automatic winning season quite yet. So, you know, I, I have the feeling that he won't be offered any any jobs so far. Okay. I guess I've heard his name for the Toronto Blue Jays job, but, I mean, I guess I would I'd love it for him to come back to Des Moines, you know. I mean, it seemed like the city loved him. I mean, we have a bunch of Cub fans in the area. seemed to like having – Rhino back in town, but moving on, I know one of the things that we've talked about that's been kind of established throughout the show is Ryan's not your typical, uh, I'd say baseball, you know, I'd say he's your baseball purist, right? Will you agree with me on that? Sure, sure. And um, I remember, I think a few days ago, I got a text from him saying, you know, something about how I can't believe, you know, the strike zone's shrinking. It seems like, you know, the umpires are doing it on purpose. And I guess I kind of want your theory on this, just, you know, to explain to our listeners, like, what exactly you think is happening during the playoffs this year? Well, we've all all seen it. It's, you know, it's happened. Bobby Cox got thrown out. Joe Madden got thrown out in the visual series. Other than last time with Cliff Lee, Cliff Lee seemed to be getting everything he wanted. Um, And Bobby Valentine on Baseball Tonight, you know, commending the umpires for, for calling a legitimate strike zone. And so everything just seems to be smaller. Close calls just aren't going pitchers' ways. You know, we got saw a few runners kind of walked in. You know, I mean, in the day, in the year of the pitcher, and the way things have been going, and this playoff kind of setting up for the other pitcher, and, and TV ratings just is not going over so well. You know, it kind of makes me wonder. So I put my thinking cap on, tracing the dots. And you just say. If, you know, Major League Baseball kind of secretly approached the umpires and say, hey, can guys, you know, we need some more runs. Somehow they need to be scored to keep to keep a bigger audience. Can you guys just, you know, shrink your strike zones down a little bit? 
you know, call, call a few less strikes, get, you know, allow Hitter to see a few extra pitches, get an extra at bat. Because, you know, Lance Berkman, you know, he didn't get that pitch called strike on. Next to bat, he doubled. I know there's other examples of that going in the divisional series and in the championship series. Just, just something to think about that, you know, Major League Baseball, you know, trying to produce more runs in some sort of way to keep a bigger audience, you know, and, and limit the year of the pitcher, you know, just to score some more runs. I mean, I'm not going to – I know you are not a fan of, you know, shrinking the strike zone and stuff, but baseball needs to do something. I mean, looking at it, you know, the ratings aren't that great. I mean, would you ever imagine the NFL or even like the NBA – Having one of your playoff games starting at 3.15 Eastern or 2.15 Central, I mean, it just does not, during the day, on a weekday, I mean, today, that's the start time of the Giants-Phillies game. It was noon on the West Coast, 3.15 start out East. I mean, I feel like, I mean, that's just a completely missed opportunity. I mean, I, mean, I don't get why you'd start a game that early on a weekday. And going off that, I mean, you would think that if this, if the pitching, you know, was a way to get people, your, you know, interests to go up. I mean, you started off this postseason throwing Halliday, throwing a no-no, like the first time that's happened since I believe Don Larson back in 1956. And it just seems like the only time that baseball's really been mentioned this year was the controversy and the fact that, you know, there were so many, you know, great pitching, you know, gems early this season. But I mean. Seemed like people were almost kind of skeptical about how, you know, there are so many pitching gems due to the fact that baseball is kind of out of that steroid era now. I mean, it doesn't make for the most interesting game when, you know, we're watching a a one zero game in the ninth inning, and both starters are still in. <clears throat> that's 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 really interesting in my opinion. I know I, I I really find it interesting too, but I'm just saying the general people that watch the playoffs. Because most people, they don't watch baseball during the regular season, and then they just tune in for the playoffs, you know, because they want to see who wins the World Series or whatever. But um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a full-on conspiracy to shrink the strike zone. I think, you know, they we always talk, they always talk about how the way the umpire stands over the shoulder of the catcher now kind of hiding behind him more instead of maybe instead of standing full up over. They, they lose one side, and they have to make a guess on those calls. So sometimes they're going to go one way, and sometimes they're going to go the other. Just It kind of depends how the umpire is feeling that night and whether, you know, whether he's saying they're going to be a strike or whether it's going to be a ball. And sometimes it goes the player's way, and sometimes it goes you know, the pitcher's way. Well, why wasn't that the case during the regular season? The umpires do that in the regular season, and the strike zone was fine, in my opinion. I mean... I, I heard some things about it in the regular season too, because we, you know, we'd see um, or coaches get thrown or managers get thrown out because, you know, they were arguing balls and strikes, and you know there wasn't a, you know, they were kind of saying baseball needs to do a replay. It, it was it was around in the regular season, but now it's a gigantic deal because it's the postseason. It's just the postseason, and everything's magnified. But then, you know, going back to AJ's point. I don't know why the West Coast game was played in the afternoon and the East Coast games played at night. I mean, maybe they're trying to maximize, you know, ratings by getting, you know, the Yankees in prime time. But it would have been very easily, you know, to start that game at 6 Eastern tonight. You know, if you wanted to see that game, you know, Texas at start at 5, you can easily get off work, get home, maybe miss the first inning to catch it and then play, you know, at 9 Eastern, which would be 7 o'clock prime time for the West Coast and the Giants. 
We work out easily. I think that's the best thing Major League Baseball needs to do. No, by starting the game in the afternoon, that was an awful call by Major League Baseball. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know why you'd start a game in the middle of the afternoon on a Tuesday. I mean, there, there should be something else going on. And But they're letting the Yankees have, you know, the AL is being done by TBS. Yeah, that's a cable network. Not everyone has cable, and I think that's also hurting their ratings and hurting you know people watching and following baseball. Maybe they don't have cable; they have to watch you know a highlight on their local news network in the evening. Well, I'm sure we can talk about. I mean, for hours on end about what baseball needs to do to, I guess, improve their sport. But we're going to save that for another time. We're going to take a quick break and get to everybody's favorite subject of the night. Wonderful NCAA football. You have been listening to the sports report here on 94 One The Dog. Yeah. Yeah. I really know about this Wisconsin thing. They be like you. What? Can you teach me how to bucky? Cause everything they do in my school looking ugly. This girl from Minnesota said she do the gopher. So Welcome back to the sports report down. here on 941 the dog. For those that do not know that wonderful melody that I was just playing, that'd be Teach Me How to Bucky. Thanks to Zoo University for coming up with that wonderful song for the Badgers homecoming game that happened I believe a few weeks ago against the lowly Minnesota Gophers, which I just want to throw out Tim Brewster now is out of a job as the head coach for uh, the Minnesota Gophers, and I believe the quote from the AD up there was that whoever comes in is not following Vince Lombardi. So just something to keep in mind for those Gopher fans that the expectations right now are not very high for the next coach, and he even joked around that he asked Tubby Smith to coach football, and Tubby declined. Oh, wow. Uh, that's not good for your football program in Minnesota. But Brewster, that was a tough stretch for him. Uh, I guess it's good for Minnesota to move on. I'm kind of scared now because, you know, this could give their players some life and some energy with whoever comes in, the interim coach. You know, now it might be an actual team, you know, to have that spark to come up and just really stick it to Iowa at the last game of the year, which I'm afraid to do. But anyways, we're unless you have a score update, which... No, I don't have okay. anything. I was just ranting about the rankings. Okay. But anyways, what we're going to talk about now is kind of talked about Teach Me How to Bucky. The Wisconsin Badgers defeated the Ohio State Buckeyes this past Saturday night and by a count of 31-18, to 18, and I had the pleasure of being in historic Camp Randall for that wonderful game, sat in the student section. I'd say it was a very enlightening experience. I usually don't get to sit in student sections. I mean, no offense to Drake football, but it seems like I usually have to work the games, or even if I had the chance to be in the student section, just does not have that same energy uh, being, you know, at Camp Randall where you're with your uh, 80,000 closest friends. And, I mean, it was just such an amazing experience. I was kind of losing my voice the next day and kind of suffered Monday, too, after, you know, screaming for most of the game. But it was just such a great game. Did you rush the field? I did rush the field after a while. I kind of waited, you know, for the crowd to, you know, die down a little. For those that are from the state of Wisconsin and that are older than me, um, when Wisconsin beat Michigan back in the early 90s, um, there's quite a few students that were injured. Um, they had uh, chain-link fences up trying to block the students from rushing the field. Everybody from the top row kind of came down in the student section, ended up crushing the poor people in the front row. But no problems like that. Even the uh, police at Camp Randall were helping students get onto the field. So 
very nice of them. Um, had a few issues, though. I saw the wonderful ESPN camera that was on top of the goalpost was taken down by students when they tried climbing it. And I'm sure ESPN's not too happy about losing such an expensive piece of cam or ex uh, expensive piece of equipment. But good game, and that means we have a new number one. That would be Oregon, but in the BCS rankings, Oklahoma is number one. But I guess going back to this weekend in college football, I didn't really have a chance to watch, but I know Niedert's happy, Iowa won, and I know Mr. Porterfield's happy because Texas defeated Nebraska. Okay, so they got that huge win over KU on Thursday night. Forgot about that. That seemed like a long time ago, but yeah, not... Huge shock by K-State. but one, one kind of thing I want to go back to the Wisconsin game and, and Terrell Pryor. Did he just look bad? Did anyone else think he just looked bad? Especially in the passing game. He just looked just really bad. I mean, this is the second time I've seen Pryor. My freshman year at Drake, I went back for the Ohio State game at Camp Randall as well. And Pryor had a very good opening drive that game, had a very good ending drive that game to win the game. Throughout the rest of the game, he didn't look that good. This week, or this past week, against the Badgers, I mean, he had success running the ball. I mean, we were all kind of scared in student section whenever he started, you know, running, and he'd seem to get that perfect first down on a third and long. But throwing the ball just didn't look that good. And, I mean, Ohio State's running backs didn't really impress me either. They had a few. The best that I saw prior was when he's on the run, I mean, when plays start breaking down, he starts, you know, running out of the pocket. I mean, defenders have to respect his running ability, and then somehow always a wide receiver gets open for him. And, I mean, I'll give him props on that, but, I mean, he just didn't look like a great quarterback. No, he looked – I, I will agree, he looked bad. I was watching the game, and he was – I, I don't know if he messed something up in his hand or holding the ball weird or something, but he was throwing balls into the ground. They weren't, they weren't coming out in a tight spiral, and they were – his receivers just couldn't catch him. He was all over the place. He he just looked awful. I, the the rankings, I feel like, are a mess. I, I don't know who votes and what they're doing, but I, I, don't, I don't know what they're factoring in. Someone gets a big win one week and they jump 15 spots. I don't I don't understand that. Well, what any examples you want to point out? Well, Wisconsin was like what twenty two going into this week. They beat they were the eighteen. Eighteen. I'm so sorry. they only jumped, they jumped eight, eight spots. spots. You know, Ohio State takes a huge drop down to eleven. Um, I saw somewhere that Michigan State is ranked number twenty four. No, they're, not. Uh, they're okay. They're seven. That's that's another thing I was mad about. But they're seven and eight in all the rankings I'm seeing now. I don't know what. Maybe it was Northwestern or something. Um, I don't know. Texas is back in. Uh, it's, I, I don't know. I just I think they're kind of a mess. They're just not well, very consistent. I mean, it just. I mean, usually college football at this point in the year is a mess. I mean, you have number in back-to-back -back weeks. You have number one teams going down. I mean, you have a situation where Oregon is ranked number one in the polls, but Oklahoma is ranked number one in the BCS. I mean, it's just it's not a. I mean, things are always usually muddled during the midpoint of the season. I mean, we can see upsets. I mean, I remember last week we thought a slam dunk pick for pick six was uh, Nevada over Hawaii. And, of course, Hawaii ended up winning, I believe. Air Force fell as well this past weekend. I mean, you just never really know. I think I read a stat somewhere that eight top 25 teams lost this past weekend. I mean. And then you got, you know, 
10 teams still undefeated in and then you have Oklahoma State and Missouri at 6 at 17 and 18 respectively all 6 and 0 I'd give the you know the top 18 teams still are in contention for that national championship berth you got 10 10 undefeated teams left you know I'm sure Boise State will probably you know ride out the schedule and stay undefeated if I don't know if anyone else is going to be undefeated I think it's it's a pretty balanced year for football yeah, maybe my maybe my rant was a little incorrect. Um, Oklahoma, they're a, they're a good team. They've got as much as I hate to say it, they're a good team. But and they've got a couple tough games. They got Missouri and Oklahoma State left. Um, but I mean, we'll kind of see how they do this year. They, I think, if they're the other team besides Oregon, I could also see Oregon going undefeated. Oregon and Oklahoma, along with Boise State. But I mean, Oklahoma really. I mean, okay, they trounced Iowa State this past week, okay? I mean, I think it was 59 nothing. Yeah, not no. very hard to do. But, I mean, looking back, I think they had difficulty against Cincinnati on the road. I mean, they did beat Texas. I mean, that's pretty good. But I, I would think Oregon looks like the better team to me. I mean, they had that impressive mm, win against yeah. Stanford. Um, they play UCLA this Thursday night. So, should be a good game, but... I mean, it's just been a very crazy week in college football. And this week, looking at some of the matchups that we'll preview in a few minutes, I mean, it's just going to be a nuts week. A lot of things are going to change in the top ten. I mean, I can guarantee you that. Yeah, I mean, I think with the Iowa-Wisconsin game coming up, something will change there. I mean, Oregon has a tough schedule ahead of them, and you know they still have to play. You know Arizona. You know Oregon State's always a tough game for them because you know it's the what's that what's that rivalry called? Oregon Oregon State is it the uh, Civil, Civil War? War? Civil War. That's a tough game. Um, you know LSU and Auburn five and six matchup coming up this week. Probably the game of the week. Um, you know we mentioned Air Force as being a good team. You know they probably have to play they have to play Air Force this week, so maybe some teams get knocked off. OU Mizzou, I believe that's where game day is going to be. It's at Mizzou this week, so that is going yeah, to be a I great would, game. I would pick that as game over the week over Auburn LSU. I just it's I, a five six matchup. I know, but I still I'm sorry, LSU won twenty eight to ten over McNeese State. I don't even know who McNeese State is. I believe I it says 32 to 10. Oh, 32 to 10. I'm also, remember we talked about LSU last week? Wins are wins, and somehow they just keep finding ways to get them. So we have two undefeated teams going head-to-head. You know, SEC matchup. Obviously, you know, Missouri and Oklahoma are comparable, but I think, you know, it's got to be LSU and Auburn as game of the week. I still think Other than Iowa-Wisconsin. Iowa-Wisconsin, that's a very important matchup. <sighs> two teams that are probably... Okay, AJ's going to say something. I think Iowa's been a little underrated. You know, they had that strong start, and then they dropped down when they lost. And then they just haven't really gotten any kind of love. We saw, you know, some quality wins, and they just haven't gotten any love in the rankings. So I suppose he gave away where he stands already earlier. Yeah, I think you kind of ruined that one. But, I mean, we're going to take a quick... Oh, I never said, you know, who I was picking. We're going to take a quick break now. We're going to... 
take a break, have a little breather before we discuss this very heated matchup this week, Iowa-Wisconsin. I just want to give a shout-out, though. I was reading uh, Pat Forty's article this week. Um, he has a very good uh, feature for ESPN on Tuesdays. I want to just uh, thank him for giving this wonderful shout-out to my former – or my – I guess not really former employer, but uh, Quibby's Grove back in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, where I worked during high school and still kind of work there during the summers. Talk, praised the wonderful atmosphere there. Talked about one of the managers there being a sweetheart. So got to give my props to good old Quibby's Grove back home in Madison, Wisconsin. But we're going to take a quick break here on the Sports Report. We'll be back to preview Iowa versus Wisconsin right here on 94.1 The Dog. about a lot, but I think this might be the most anticipated talk of the evening. Wisconsin travels to Kinnick Stadium this weekend to face the Iowa Hawkeyes. For those that have not paid attention to this show, I am a diehard Badger fan growing up in a suburb of beautiful Madison, Wisconsin. Ryan Niedert grew up, I believe, good uh, 30 minutes away from Iowa City. I would definitely call it a suburb here in Iowa. Definitely a suburb. Definitely a suburb. And Michael Porterfield is just a bandwagon fan that will probably support the Hawkeyes since somehow he showed up in a Hawkeye shirt tonight. So, um, anyways, discussing this game, I mean, both teams coming off big wins. In this game, I would say this is almost the biggest game on Wisconsin's schedule outside of Ohio State. I mean, the rivalry against Minnesota really hasn't been a contest the past few years. Game against Iowa has always been huge. I'm sure people remember Ron Dane getting his record against Iowa way back in the late 90s. Um, remember, I mean, now they play for a trophy. I think it's the Heartland Trophy, if I'm not mistaken. And one of the nice added twists to the series the past few years with the co- with the emergence of head coach Brett Bielma for the Badgers. He played at Iowa back in the day and sadly still sports a Hawkeye tattoo on his ankle, which still kind of kills me that he hasn't gotten it off yet after being coach of the Badgers. But looking to this game, I guess, Niedert, why do you think Iowa is going to dominate this game? Well, I'll I'll give some props to the Badgers. They're they're a pretty good football team. Got a big win last weekend against Ohio State, number one team win. You know, feeling pretty good about themselves, you know, Iowa, you know, had had a, had a good win against Michigan. Started a little slow, knocked out Denard Robinson, which kind of helped their defense. You know, the defense did get get roughed up a little bit. Fell from first to sixth, but you know, hey, sixth in the nation isn't that isn't that bad? You know, Wisconsin sports, you know, the twenty seventh best defense in the nation, not too bad either. But you said it just like the, the fifth word you said. It's at Kinnick. Iowa is just. They don't make very many mistakes when they play in front of that home crowd. It's almost like a machine, especially because 
Iowa, one thing about Iowa is that, you know, true Hawkeye fans only know is they never lose that coin flip. For some reason, they always start the game with the ball first. And, you know, you know a typical Iowa drive, it's start with the ball, go down and put up seven points right away. You know, a little run, a little play-action pass. You know, first play of the game from Ricky Stanley's probably going to be a play-action boot. I probably can call it right now. He's going to you know, hit Reisner coming across the middle for about 15 yards. Wisconsin's going to be like, oh, here we go. This is not a good... Not, not not a good time to just have this starting, but you know I I think I kind of mentioned mentioned this in last week with Wisconsin being a little one dimensional, you know, and me trying to run, but they ran all over Iowa, Ohio State. There wasn't much Ohio State was doing to stop them. And Iowa did get gashed up a little bit against you know Robinson, but I think that's a, a completely different style of running. You know, if Tulsing is willing to tuck it, then I think Iowa has problems. But I don't think he's going to be. I think it's going to be. You know, smash mouth football in the trenches, in between the tackles type running with John Clay. And, you know, when he meets guys that are doing just as big as him, just as strong as him, I think, you know, <clears throat> Iowa has the ability to shut that running game down. And that's why they're going to win this football game. AJ, your turn. Oh, I can't wait for this. I mean, I don't know where to exactly start, but here we're going to go. I know. Everybody in this state talks about Adrian Claiborne, right? I yeah. Mean, uh, Watt. Very impressive. J.J. Watt is Wisconsin's Adrian Claiborne. I think he, I texted you that. Did you I did. That? He had a huge impact on that Ohio State game. But you talked about the Badgers being a little one-dimensional. I'm, gonna, I'm just looking at the stats. Okay, passing yards. Iowa throws 266 yards a game. That's 35th in the nation. Wisconsin only throws 207. I mean, that's 77th. I mean, it's still not horrible. I mean, Scott Tulzien is, I mean, he's one of those very good game managers. He knows when to, you know, call an audible. Paul Christ, the offense coordinator, very creative. I remember that game this past weekend. It was, I believe it was 21 18. Uh, Wisconsin got the ball back. First play from scrimmage. Everybody in the student section is like, just pound the ball. Let's run out the clock. Uh, play action pass to, I believe, the second or third string tight end. Went 32 yards. And, I mean, you can never really... I understand why Wisconsin looks one-dimensional, but, I mean, they can pass the ball. Nick Toon had a fantastic game. David Gilreath has a lot of speed. Has, he returned that uh, opening kickoff for 95 yards, I believe, for a touchdown on the first play of the game. Um, and talking about the Wisconsin running attack, I mean, you talked about John Clay. John Clay, it's like the second coming of Ron Dane and Madison. But don't forget about James White. White is a very dynamic runner. He can get to the outside. He's very fast, very nimble. He can break tackles as well. That combination of almost thunder and lightning for Wisconsin I think will cause a few problems for Iowa as it did for um, Ohio State. I mean, I think you also texted me the stat that John Clay was the first runner to get over 100 yards since, I believe, Joe McKnight for USC. I mean, I know Iowa has a stout rushing defense. I mean, I believe it's one of the best in the nation, but I feel like John Clay, James White, throwing a little Monty Ball in there as well, they have the chance to wear down Iowa. I, this is going to be a close game, I believe. I mean, I don't know about what you think, if you oh, think the it, Hawks are going to roll or something. It's definitely not going to roll. I, I'm going to have to say that Wisconsin will rush for 100 yards in the football game, but it's going to, you know, Ricky Stanzi, Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week after the win in Michigan. 
And then you have, you know, A-Rob, they continuing to run just like John Clay does, but I'd say just a little bit quicker. It's a little bit quicker than you John Clay. You just compare A-Rob to John Clay. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's tough. Uh, in, he's very tough in between the tackles. Okay. Okay. Uh, very tough in between the tackles. He has the makings of John Clay. And, you know, kind of... 100 pounds lighter. 100 pounds lighter, yes, as Michael said. But the thing is, now, it's, you know, Wisconsin come in, comes in ranked 10th, Iowa ranked 13th, Iowa is now the underdog. That's how they like Not it. Not really, though. That, Looking at the line, Iowa's favored in this game. I mean, people are throwing in, you know, the Kinnick and factor. And that's where, that's, yeah, that's where the Kinnick factor comes in is when you, uh, when you go, like, to Vegas and, and the betting and stuff like that. But, you know, if you want to put rankings-wise, Ohio State came off the big win. They are, they, are the, they are the favorite. They are who is supposed to win this football game. Iowa likes to be the underdog. That's, that's what I think it's going to be. It's going to be very close. Clay, or, Clay or, some, or, or Wisconsin combined 100 rushing yards, special teams, and turnovers. Iowa's defense got a few last week. Special teams is fantastic. You mentioned Gildreath, fantastic for uh, Wisconsin because, you know, Bielema coaches them. Very close. But I think, you know, it's got to be Iowa. And one last thing on this game, I looked it up. A-Rob. 5'9", 205 pounds. Mr. John Clay, 6'1", 255. So. Yeah, but it's the idea. They still, he still breaks, run through, run through people and breaks tackles just like Clay does. And has four more inches and 50 more pounds on him. But giving, just getting Robinson all the more credit. Yeah. But anyways, now moving off this game, which we'll be picking. I'm pretty sure it won't be a shock which way we'll be going. But a few other big games this week. And LSU at Auburn and OU at Mizzou. Very big game. I believe it's homecoming down in Columbia. So very good, uh, I guess, slate of college games this weekend. And I guess, do you guys have any thoughts on LSU-Auburn? Or We saw Auburn give up a lot of points last week against an Arkansas offense that wasn't led by Ryan Mallett in the second half because he got knocked out. I don't know. LSU doesn't score a lot of points, but if you know if they don't have a, you know if they have a defense they can beat up on, maybe we'll see a, the the cardiac cats come out with another win. And the Yankees are up three two now, and I'm not sure how. Okay. Thank you for that score update. But now, since it seems like this next segment always takes up way more time than we usually allow it to, we're going to start pick six a little early tonight, and the first game. Up on the docket, kind of fitting, we just talked about it a little. The Cardiac Cats of LSU at the Auburn Tigers. Mr. Porterfield, take your pick. I think I kind of alluded to it. Maybe we'll see the Cardiac Cats run with the win, but that was the wrong way because uh, I think Cam Newton and Auburn get a win here. It's at home. Cam Newton's really good and definitely a, f- a clear front runner for the Heisman, so I'm going to pick Auburn. I'm going to go Auburn as well. I just feel like, as we talked about Cam Newton, I think it's real deal at quarterback for the Tigers. Next up, Nebraska at Oklahoma State. Neater, take your pick. Well, it turns out that Nebraska benched Martinez as a quarterback last week. So that's kind of throwing up some red flags. Oklahoma State, very good offensively. Very good on the ground at Oklahoma State, but I think Nebraska bounces back and gets the victory. This one's very tough to pick, I believe. I mean, OK State has a prolific offense, 
Um, talked about T-Magic as they call him down in Lincoln. Very athletic quarterback. I mean, I've been seeing things Bo Pelini's kind of debating about if he should have benched such a young quarterback. See what, you know, we'll have to see how his psyche ha- handles it. I'm going to go Nebraska, but I feel like OK State will have a lead early in this one. Well, um, we were talking about Oklahoma State's, you know, great offense. You know, they're able to run the ball. They've got a great receiving core. Um, okay, well, they've got John Blackman. I think his name's John Blackman, who's got almost a thousand yards on the season already. Um, Nebraska. I don't know how they bounce back from the loss against Texas. Um, it was a tough game for Martinez to lose. Um, but I'm gonna have to go with the Cowboys on this one, led by their 26-year-old Brian Whedon quarterback. Okay. Next game, Oklahoma at Mizzou. I feel like this one's a very tough one to pick. I mean, Mizzou is a good team. I just feel like OU will have, you know, some confidence after just thrashing the Cyclones this past week. I'm gonna go Sooners on this one. Porterfield. Well, it is in Columbia. And Mizzou has the second-ranked defense right now. They have what looks like a very good offense. Um, But I don't think they've really been tested yet. They haven't played. They haven't played a tough game. I think the hardest game they've played was probably A&M. And, you know, that's not even even a great team. It's homecoming. They're going to be fired up. But I think Oklahoma comes in and gets a win. I kind of think Oklahoma's overrated. And for the third week in a row, we will see the number one team, or well, I guess BCS, number one. Or is it, a, is it a USA Today Coach nope. School number one? No, nope. they're like six. The, no, this is BCS. BC, so we'll see a BCS team fall from the ranks. I'm going to pick Mizzou. Not a bad pick. I had some troubles with that one. We're going to skip our final NCA pick, go straight to the NFL, Minnesota at Green Bay. I will be going with the Vikings this week. I mean, I know it's at Lambeau, but it seems like Brett Favre and, you know, those primetime games that, I mean, he's kind of coming off a little trouble. I think, you know, we all, it's been well documented about some of his issues the past few weeks. I feel like he'll be able to respond. Sunday night football game, primetime, go Vikes. Uh, We talked a lot about how, I don't know, Bad Minnesota is, but Green Bay they shoot themselves in the foot a lot too. I I don't know. This is tough to pick, but I don't I don't, I don't think Favre can beat his old team three times. Vikings are bad. Don't pick on the pick on the Packers. <laughs> wow. Okay. Next game: the New York Football Giants at the Dallas Cowboys. Porterfield, take your pick. Oh boy. Well, see now now I don't know what to think. I thought the Giants. Tom Coughlin or Tom Coughlin already come in and not come in, but he'd gone into the season. And they were really bad at the beginning, but they kind of reworked some things and the defense looked really stout in the last couple games. And then they played Detroit and gave up 20 points to Detroit. Barely got a win there. Uh, Dallas is it's at Dallas. Uh, Dallas is Dallas is bad. It's the Giants. Dallas is worse than the Vikings. I'm picking the Giants. 
That's one another tough one. Is didn't really go easy for the pick six this week, did we? No, you didn't. <clears throat> um, God, I'm, did you pick the Chiefs game or something? No, we'll go Giants for this one. I mean, I feel like this one will be close, but Giants will come out with the victory. And final game of the week, Wisconsin versus Iowa. Can we just get the mic to Porterfield so he can declare his love for the Hawkeyes as he's jumping on their bandwagon? I'm picking Iowa. Really? That's what everyone know that. I'm picking Even the Hawks. Even though you're wearing red and white and black. I just want to point that out. It's my, it's my high school t-shirt. Okay, just throwing that out, though. Uh, okay, okay. I forgot we were, we were coordinating our outfits for today's radio show. I didn't know. I didn't know we were coordinating our outfits. Okay. okay. You, know, you know what? Go Hawks. Okay, Porterfield. Yeah, you gonna, you want to say anything about your... I, I'll, your I'll get the last word. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's... You're going first. It's, you know, kind of my show. Well, I'll get all the last right, word. All right, fine. Oh, yeah, this is tough. It's it's at Kinnick. I-O-W-A, Iowa, Iowa, Iowa. Happy you can oh, spell. Oh, I got this guy trained. Nice, very nice. This should not be a shock. Shock. I'm going Wisconsin. I feel like... Scotty Tolzien will impress some Iowa fans. He has some very good receivers, as Mel Darga has been telling me about. They have David Gillereath, Nick Toon, Jared Aparitas. They have Lance Kendricks, who is very quiet in that Ohio State game. He can make a difference in this game. Going Wisconsin, close, though, 24-21. I feel like a Philip Welch field goal oh, will determine even, this one. I'm even throwing a score out for this one. But just want to thank everybody for listening to us tonight. We'll be back on the air next week at our normal Marvin time, McNutt, 8 p.m. DJK, Colin Sandeman, <laughs> Alan Reisner. But That's anyway. an excellent receiving core for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Okay, thank you for getting that in. But thank you all for listening tonight. You've been listening to the Sports Report here on 941 The Dog. We'll be back at a regular time next week at 8 p.m. Have a wonderful Tuesday night. 